Yeah, good morning, be free. Awesome. My name is Ben Rowe. I'm the pastor here. We are a Christ-centered family. Glorifies God by loving Him, by loving others, and by making disciples. That's who we are. That's what we do. And that's how we do it. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning, that we can uh, continue and we can worship together uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And um, uh, a note about the word discipleship that I just said. To be a disciple is to be somebody who follows Christ. Discipleship is helping somebody grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the main ways that we do discipleship as a church is by discipling our kids, uh, pointing them and leading them uh, as they seek to follow Christ for themselves. And, you know, during this COVID time, it's been a really hard thing to do, especially, uh, specifically here at our church. We don't have the space nor really the volunteers at this time to offer uh, discipleship for our kids on a Sunday morning in the way that we want. But thankfully, uh, as you can see in the insert in your bulletin, uh, our church has figured out a way to do discipleship for kids, uh, even if we can't do it here together on a Sunday morning. Um, you should have gotten an email this week if you're, a, uh, if you're a parent of a kid in Adventureland or nursery. Just giving you a link uh, to, to sign up uh, to receive these weekly videos, these lessons <clears throat> that you can do together with your kids at home. If you didn't receive that email, there's an insert in your bulletin. Donald Blinas' email address, and you can just reach out to her, and she will shoot that link over to you. And the lessons that you receive do line up uh, with the, the, uh, the paper lessons that Jay gives the kids when they walk in. Uh, so that's what we're doing right now. If you have more questions, ask Jay, uh, or Don, or, or Olivia, and they can tell you a little bit more. Just another note on kids. We understand what's going on. Your kids are welcome to make noise. If your kids are making noise, no big deal. Uh, we're just happy that they're here worshiping with us. So, welcome if you're a family. So when I was in high school, uh, I was given a card, a thank you card. And in that thank you card, there was a gift card to Barnes & Nobles. That's a, a bookstore. I'm sure you know. Uh, but I was a high school boy. <laughs> they didn't think about that when they gave me a Barnes & Nobles bookstore card. So I went to the Barnes & Noble store, and I, I wasn't a big reader. Uh, and I remember walking around the store and thinking, what am I going to do with this card? And walking past the poetry section. Uh, poetry, it sounds highbrow, right? It sounds sophisticated. So I thought, hey, I'll give this a shot. <laughs> uh, I flicked through a few of them. I, and I bought this anthology, uh, this collection of poems. Um, and I brought it with me on a vacation that we went on a couple weeks later. Um, and I just remember being... Uh, on this vacation, laying in bed one night, falling asleep, opening up this poetry anthology, uh, and reading the first poem that I fell asleep halfway through, the, the, the first poem of the, of the entire anthology, and I never really opened it again. Do you want to know why? Because I don't like poetry. <laughs> At least I don't like reading poetry. But whether you're in that same boat or not, whether you like poetry or you don't like poetry, here's a truth about poetry that we can all agree upon. Poetry has power. Because poetry is able to use words to communicate truths that go beyond what those words mean. Does that make sense? In poetry, a, a poet is able to say more than what those words actually mean if you were to take the dictionary definitions and piece them all together. Poetry is powerful. It's able to communicate these beautiful, powerful truths, whether you like it or not. And if you want proof, you can just look at the fact uh, that any high school boy who falls in love with that girl in science class goes from a caveman to Shakespeare overnight. Poetry is powerful. 
It allows you to say what you can't say with words on their own. And so it's fitting then that the Hebrew poets, the the Hebrew writers rather, used this tool of poetry to communicate things that couldn't be communicated merely with words, to express things that were inexpressible. In fact, when you go to the scriptures and we find the deepest expression of emotions, it's always found in poetry. The deepest sorrows is always written in poetry. The highest joys is always expressed through poetry. And whenever they talk about God, whenever they try to express the inexpressible one, they often turn to that tool of poetry. And so be free, over the next six weeks, starting today, we're going to be diving into the largest anthology of Hebrew poetry we have, the the largest collection, Um, this group of poems, 150 poems in the Old Testament called the Psalms. Because these Psalms, these poems, they specifically have this amazing power to describe our indescribable God. For the next six weeks, we're, we're going to go through these Psalms, and we're calling this this series, Our Awesome God, Meeting God in the Psalms, uh, not very creatively named. But the point is this, we want to look at these Psalms and we just want to see how awesome our God is. And the whole idea, like I mentioned last week, is that we would be struck by His awesomeness, His glory, His power, His majesty. So that then when we get to Christmas, six weeks from now, when we start our Advent series, we can be that much more in awe at the fact that that God became a baby. So that's where we're going over the next six weeks. And we're starting today with Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Go ahead and open up your Bibles there if you have them. If you don't, it'll be up here on the screen behind us. Psalm 113. Let me, let me read this. And my prayer is that the, the, the beauty of this passage would, would strike you even before we start digging and diving into this. So let me read this. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting, to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above the nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth, who raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap? to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Be free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we don't want to think of you any other way than we should. You know, you've, you've revealed yourself to us. In Scripture, you've revealed yourself to us in, by sending your Son. And Father, we, we want to know who you are so that we can worship you rightly. We don't want to worship a God that we've just come up with in our own minds. And so, Father, I pray that as we think about you, who you are, what you've done, we would come to a more full understanding of that so that we can praise you rightly. Because the amazing truth that we see in this passage is the more that we understand of you, the more we want to praise you the more our joy and delight in you bubbles over. So very simply, Lord, help us bubble over in praise today. May your word, this eternal, (laughs) unerring word, 
shape us, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what comes out of somebody's mouth tells us what happens inside of them. We know this to be true. Uh, Jesus tells us this, Luke chapter 6. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What he's saying is that what you're thinking about, what you're feeling, it's going to shape what you say. And we know this is true. This is true of our emotions. Um, I, I know that if, you, if you're a husband who comes home to your wife at the end of the day, and you walk in the front door and you say, honey, I'm home, and you ye- hear her yell hello from the other room, you can probably tell just from the tone of her voice, the emotion, the, the way that her day went. That happened to us once uh, when we were newly married. I, I walked in the front door of our apartment. I yelled hello. And Olivia greeted me from the other room. And I responded, what's wrong? <laughs> I was able to tell instantly just from what was inside of her, shaping what came out of her. It's also true of just what we think about, right? What we think about, we tend to talk about. Dale talks a lot about 311. You know this because he thinks a lot about 311. <laughs> What we think about is what we talk about. And the thing is, we don't have to prove this. You know this to be true. You can ask any new mom about her baby. You can ask any high schooler about their crush, any high school boy about his car. You can ask any New Englander about their local football dynasty, and they will want to tell you about them. It's going to be hard to stop them. In fact, you might even regret asking them about it. Nobody has to convince these people to talk about these things. They want to talk about these things because they can't help but talk about these things. It's bubbling up out of of them. Uh, They want to. You can't stop them. Olivia learned this the hard way as well. When we were dating, uh, she asked me about the Dave Matthews band. She never asked again. (laughs) She heard everything she ever needed to know about the Dave Matthews band that one day in the car. It was a long drive. It was a mistake. (laughs) She learned from her mistakes. We can't help but let the things that we delight in pour out of us. We can't help but share with other people the things that bring us so much joy. We want them to know how good these things are. No one can tell us, has to tell us to do it. We can't help it. We can't stop ourselves. We don't want to stop ourselves. We love pouring out praise for the thing or the person that we love. And so it's in light of that that I'm going to read the first three verses here again. <clears throat> The psalmist says, the writer of the psalm says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We love pouring out praise for the person or the thing that we love. And if that's true, this poet loves the Lord. He can't help it. You don't have to ask him to talk about it. He wants to talk about the Lord. You can't stop him from talking about the Lord. He says, praise the Lord. He says, praise his name from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, start praising the Lord and never stop praising the Lord. He says, praise the Lord from the rising of the sun to its setting. In other words, start praising the Lord the moment you wake up and do not stop praising the Lord until the moment your head hits the pillow at night. Praise the Lord. He is praising the Lord, and what's more, he wants you to praise the Lord. He wants you to know the joy he knows in the Lord. He wants you to love him as much as he loves him. His poet's heart finds so much delight in the Lord that he wants us to praise him with a never-stopping, dawn-till-dusk, eternal, jubilant praise. It's overflowing from him. 
And so the question that we should be asking at this point is why? What is it about this God that causes this poet to just bubble over like this? If somebody tells you, you should really listen to 3.11, you should probably ask them, why, what do you like about them? So what is it about God? What is it about God that should make us want to join you in your party of worship for him? And here's the answer, at least the start of it, verse 3. Sorry, verse, verse 4. It says, the Lord is high above the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks down, far down, on the heavens and the earth. If we come to the end of verses 1 through 3, and we hear the, the, the poet say, praise, 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 the answer as to why is right here in verses 4 through 6. It's because he is high, high, high. Why should we praise, praise, praise? Because he is high, high, high. High. Verse 4, he is high above the nations. In other words, he is greater in power than the powers of this world. Why should we praise him? Verse 4 again, it says, his glory is above the heavens. In other words, he is greater in glory and majesty than anything else in the entire universe. Verse 5, who is like our Lord? Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? What's the answer? Nobody. That's the answer he's getting at. And in verse 6, He is so high and so exalted that it says that he looks far down on what? The heavens and the earth. He's not just up there with the stars. He's above the stars. He's not just up there with the mighty rulers of this earth. He's above the mighty rulers of this earth. What we see in this passage is that God is over and above everything. And, you know, we look at this and we think, is this overkill? I mean, is he just using hyperbole, saying more than he needs to say in order to make the point? Well, I don't think so. Scripture speaks in one voice about this. He's saying that there is no one, sorry, there is no one and nothing in the heavens above or on the earth beneath that God does not look far, far, far down on. There's nothing in the heavens above, there's nothing on the earth below that can even com- begin to compare with the majesty, power, and glory and honor of our God. He created everything. He rules over everything. As a king ascends to a throne over his kingdom, our God has ascended to the throne of heaven, sitting over all. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? The answer is nobody. And so the- theologians have come up with this word that they like to kick around. When they talk about the fact that our God is above everything else, and this is the word, we're going we're gonna to kick it around a bit today. The word is transcendent. Transcendent. It comes from the word transcend. To go beyond the limits of something. That's what transcend means. That's a beautiful word to talk about our God. What it says is that our God goes beyond the limits of everything. He is transcendent. He is above. He is high over everything. He goes beyond anything we can conceptualize, anything that we have ever experienced. Put anything next to him, he is better. Put anyone head to head with him, he is mightier. Our God is transcendent beyond all. He is 110%. In fact, if you find anything as majestic, powerful, glorious as he is, if you find anything as awesome or more awesome than him, well, great, because you've just found your new God. But you won't. Because our God is transcendent. 
He is over everything. So, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because there is nothing in heaven or on earth better, higher, mightier, more glorious, more awesome, more transcendent than him. And, and when we remember that, when we believe that, it, it pours out of us. Like Dale in 3.11, it, we can't stop talking about it. We can't stop telling him how awesome he is. We can't help but praise the Lord. But we forget it sometimes. And that's the problem. We don't always remember it. We don't always remember that he goes so far beyond everything else. In fact, I'll just, I'll just speak for myself here. I don't always remember this. I sometimes forget or start to doubt that he is actually transcendent. In other words, that he is actually higher than everything else. And there's two places that I tend to forget this. The first one is in temptation. And the second one is in my sufferings. So first, in my, in my temptation. Sometimes I slip into believing, and maybe you do as well, believing the lie that some earthly joy is better than him. In other words, I slip into believing that something that the earth has to offer me transcends him, is better than him. I slip into believing that that thing would be better for me than the God of the universe. In other words, I allow some earthly pleasure to become more important to me than following my king. In fact, I want to argue that this happens every time we sin. That every time we ever choose to sin, in other words, do something different than what we want, it's because we stop believing that he is better. That we put something higher than the highest one. We let something else transcend the transcendent one. So that's the first way I forget. It's when I let something become more transcendent than him, better than him. And for you, you can fill in the blank for what that might be. It might be a relationship. It might be respect. It might be the way that, um, well, fill in the blank for yourself. I don't want to make it for you. I think for me, it's reputation. I think I've confessed this before. I'm willing to sin in order to make myself look good. That's the way I forget the order of the universe. (laughs) So that's the first area, sin and temptation. Second one is in suffering. Sometimes I slip into believing the lie that an earthly hardship is stronger than him. That some earthly struggle is more powerful than him. It's something that he can't deal with. I think that some earthly trial he can't handle, that, that if he could handle my situation, he would, and so he must not be able. I assume that this hardship is just a little bit too much for his hands. And that's not fair either, because the reality is our God is more powerful than any power of this world. We just saw this before. Our God is the one who is seated above all creation. Seated, meaning seated on his throne. Nothing is too powerful for him. When I doubt whether or not he can come through in issues in our adoption, he always, always seems to deliver. And when he doesn't, I can trust that he, the good king of the universe, has a purpose for the way that he has ordered the world. So I tend to doubt God's transcendence, his highness, his goodness, his majesty, his power, his glory, fill in the blank, in the face of temptation and in the face of suffering. But be free. The truth is, our God is better than anything that might tempt us. Our God is stronger than anything that might hurt us. 
There is nothing better, higher, mightier, more glorious than Him. So be reminded today of this. Be free. He transcends all. And so let that truth let us overflow with praise. So why do we praise the Lord? That's the first half of the answer. The rest of this passage gives us a second half of this answer. So let's go on to verses 7 through 9. It just gets more beautiful. It says this. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. I mean, at the end of verse 6, God is high, high, high above his creation. Right? He, is, he is the God who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. But in the very next breath, we see that this high, high, high one comes low, low, low. He is the God, though high, who comes and raises the poor from the dust, who lifts the needy from the ash heap, who gives children to the barren woman. Yes, he's the highest of all. Nothing transcends him, but he still looks down, and he looks down past the stars, pushing the heavens aside, looks down to the earth, and he doesn't just fix his eyes on the best of us. He looks to the dust. He looks to the ash heaps. He sees the people who are so down and out that nobody else gives them attention. And he doesn't send a delegation to go deal with them. He doesn't send his secretary to take care of them. He himself reaches his hands into the mess of this world and he rises us up. He cares about us in the first place. That that itself is incredible. But the fact that he himself comes and helps us is even more amazing. He raises us from the dust. He lifts us from the ash heap. He makes us sit with princes. He gives the barren woman a home. He makes her joyous, the joyous mother of children. What should blow our minds, be free, is not just that he is awesome, but that he is near. That he is awesome, yes, above the heavens, but he is not far from us. And so if theologians kick around this word transcendent, to talk about his highness, they throw around another word to talk about his nearness. God is transcendent. He's also imminent. Transcendent, high, and imminent, near. Lofty, near. Elevated, close. High above us, still with us. Seated in glory, near us in grace. High in majesty, close to us in mercy at the exact same time. So praise the Lord. Praise the Lord because he is high and mighty. Praise the Lord because he is near to the brokenhearted. Praise the Lord, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Why? Because he is mighty and near us. So these two truths, they live in tension, right? Yes, he is above the stars, but yes, he is with us in the dust. And so what do we do with that? How do we conceptualize that? I think that often this is a hard thing for us to wrap our minds around. The fact that he, the king of the universe, would still care about us. That he would still uh, be uh, willing to help at all uh, in the struggles of this, of this world. That he would love us. You would think that him, over all of creation, would have better things to do with his time than give it to you when you're talking to him laying in bed at night. But he listens. How do you conceptualize that? 
I think we need to wrestle with these two tensions. Because there's three ways that we tend to respond to the tension here of God's transcendence and his imminence, his highness and his nearness. And the first way that we sometimes deal with the tension is by focusing on his highness and forgetting his nearness. We don't know what to do with the tension here, so we focus so much on his highness that we can unintentionally start to forget his nearness. That's the first way that we sometimes respond. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, focusing on his highness is good. It is essential. I mean, if there is nothing in the whole universe better, higher, mightier, more glorious than him, then we best not forget it. We want to remember his highness. His highness, it leads us to bow before him in holy, reverent, awe-filled, joyful fear. His highness, it urges us to obey him, the one who is on the throne of the universe. But at the exact same time, we must not forget his nearness. We must not forget that we are called to call him Father. We can't forget that Hebrews 4 tells us that we can go with confidence into the throne room of grace. Yes, he is high. Yes, he is mighty. Yes, he is over all things. But we must not forget that we are near to him, that he has made himself close to us. Because be free, if we do, it will lead to a cold obedience. It leads to awe of him, but not love of him. It might stir up reverence, but it will not stir up joy. And it definitely won't won't cause us to go to him with our problems, our hardships, or our suffering. Our God is high, and he is also near. And so that's that's the first way we can sometimes respond to the tension between his highness and and his nearness is that we can focus so much on the highness that we forget the nearness. But be fair, I think that we in our entire church tradition uh, of this non-denominational uh, churches in America, we tend to make the opposite mistake a little bit more often, right? To focus so much on his nearness that we forget his highness. Focus so much on the fact that he is our father that we forget that he is the king. I remember in first grade, I was on the, on the playground, um, and there was a teacher in our school who was very popular purely because he was a young guy straight out of, straight out of uh, college. And all the kids thought he was, a re- he was really cool. And so my friend, he thought that um, Mr. Weaver was the, was the coolest teacher in the school. And so he was playing Foursquare with us, just showing us again how cool he was. And as we were playing Foursquare, my friend didn't call him Mr. Weaver. He called over to him as Glenn. And I think that sometimes we do a similar thing with God. That we grow so familiar with Him, we feel so close to Him, and rightly we should, that we forget that He's not like us. My friend could call me Ben, but he couldn't call Mr. Weaver Glenn. Because Mr. Weaver was in a different position, right? He was not one of us. He was the teacher. And it's similar when it comes to God. Focusing on the nearness of God is... A good thing. After all, the Bible tells us, John chapter 15, that he is our friend. Tells us in 1 John chapter 3, we are his children. It tells us Ephesians chapter 5 and all over the place that we are his bride, his his beloved. Can we enter confidently into the throne room of grace? Absolutely. He is near to us. How dare we forget that? He died for that. We can call to him in suffering. We can weep to him in our sorrow. And he not only hears, but cares and comforts. Amen. 
But if we forget his highness, why would we call to him? We might feel like he's near and accessible, but what's the point in calling out to him? He's just like us. What can he do? No more than my friend. He's just a friend. If we forget his highness. The reality is that he is not like us. He is the sovereign king. And should he appear before us in this room today, we would remember that. We would remember in a moment that he is not a God who is like us, just our buddy-buddy. He is not our homeboy. He is powerful and, and, and glorious, so much so that we would fall down once again in awe-filled, reverent, joyful fear before him. So when we focus on his nearness and forget his highness, this can dry up our worship. This can inspire a relationship but really kill the awe that we should have for the God of the universe. This should stir up a familiarity but with no reverence. Okay, so if the first way we respond to this tension is that we can focus on his highness and forget his nearness, and the second way is that we can focus on the nearness and forget the highness, what's the third way? What's the third way that we can respond to this tension between God's highness and nearness. The answer is that we sit in the tension. That we sit in the tension. Actually, maybe to be a little more specific, we delight in the tension. We recognize that he is both high and near, and we love that. We love the fact that we can't wrap our minds around the fact that he can be both at the same time. I mean, we might struggle to understand how both can be true. How he can be high and near, unlike us, yet love us, above us in the heavens, yet pulling us from the dust, near to the brokenhearted, yet never leaving his throne. And the reality is, we don't have an answer of how both these things can happen at the same time, because our God transcends our answers. They're both true. He is high, and he is near. And he is near to us in a million ways. At a million times. Yes, he is so near and so strong that he hears our struggles and, strong, and he's strong enough to do something about it. He's near enough to see our sufferings and strong enough to help us in it. He is near enough to know of our hopelessness and strong enough to give us hope in it. But the most amazing way that God shows us his radical nearness and power is in the person of Jesus Christ. Because our God, who is above the universe, did not stay there. He came down here. He saw us in our situation. He saw us in our spiritual condition. He saw that because of our sin, we deserved judgment. He saw that we were dead. And like sheep without a shepherd, he took compassion on us. And so he clothed himself in flesh. He came down into the dust to rescue us. He came down into the, the ashes to raise us up. And the way he did that was by taking our sin. Taking responsibility for it and dying on the cross. He rose again, allowing us to share with him in his victory over the grave. And he ascended to the throne in heaven, allowing us to reign with him now, today, by faith in his kingdom. And the reason he does all this is because of his amazing love for us. And so I just want to say this. If, if you can't wrap your mind around the fact that God is 
high and near, good. <laughs> That's a good thing. Because if you can, it means that you're downplaying one or the other. The fact is, our God is high. He is higher than you can even imagine. He is near. He is closer to you than you can ever imagine. And we want this tension to lead us to praise. This tension will naturally lead us to praise. The fact that we wonder over this will lead us to worship. Do you want proof? Just look at our worship songs. The songs we sing in church uh, often ask questions that we don't have answers to. They often ruminate over this question, how do we make sense of the both and nature of God's love for us? We We sing songs like this, who am I? That the highest king would welcome me. I was lost. He brought me in. Oh, his love for me. That song we sing because we don't understand how it works out. We sing this song, Amazing Love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? We sing that song because it doesn't make sense to us. It, it blows our mind. We want to praise him for it. And my personal favorite, we sing this. And can it be... Can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? The high king of the universe sees you in your dust and cares. Sent his son to pull you out of it. How can it be? So praise him. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Let's praise Him together by praying and then singing. Heavenly Father, we are confused by You. We are confused as to why you care. We are confused as to why you give us your attention at all. It doesn't make sense to us. We would never want to die on a cross for somebody who did nothing in his entire life but earn punishment for that. Earn your punishment. But Father, what you did was purely by grace. You, because of your unintelligible love for us, decided to die for us, to show your love for us, by putting your life down in our place. Father, thank you. Father, we praise you. And if the only thing we take away from the sermon today is, wow, God's love is awesome, well then, mission accomplished. God, you deserve that love. Father, be praised. And I pray that we would live in a way that we would not only remember your glory, but also your nearness to your people. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.